My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Today I am joined by a grit cult, um, a cult sultan, I think it is pronounced, um, and a prolific Twitter phenomenon uh, whose uh, sprawling thread of threads you should visit and spend maybe a day or two on, maybe a bit more. Um, and one of my favorite Twitter accounts, um, welcome. Yeah, we love you to meet you too. Um, you are an, a very elusive figure, a um, and, uh, and also a, a master of branding. I have to say, um, there there's just there's something you know quite cult like about the way you've structured uh, just just a, the grid cult brand. I mean, you've got a different you know adjacent you know accounts and, and ideas that that kind of surround your persona, um, but. It's it's all just I don't know. There's something magnetic about it, and you've kind of, in a way, appropriated also this kind of this retro future look, which I find super cool. So I don't know. There's you definitely know what you're doing in terms of of magnetizing people, and it's it's not just the the aesthetics of it, obviously, but it's also the just the content. You know, as I said, it's it's just uh, sprawling. You've got you know thousands of different interests and. I think, you know, your threads are a testament to that. So, you know, I definitely recommend that everyone go in and follow you. Wow, that's a very high praise. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're now at the age of, um, some people call it turmoil. Some people are sitting on the sidelines applauding it. Uh, it's January 2021. Uh, history is happening in real time. Um I want to ask you, because uh, you're, you're usually in the business of making predictions, which is something that few people engage in with, with quite the, the zeal and zest that you do. But, um, you know, what do you, I mean, are, are you applauding what is going on? By, by that, I mean, you know, the, uh, the revolutions online and partially also in person um, that have kind of shaped our, our discussions now. Um, I'd, I'd say that there is one large meta trend, and, and that is just um, you know, there's this notion of decentralization happening and recent events. I, I'm not sure when this will be re- re- uh, released, but I'm pretty sure you know even if it's released in a year's time, there'll be something you know that's very relevant to this what I'm going to describe, and that is you know, the effect of decentralization effects of technology, you know, um, allowing people to have better access to one another. Um, you know, this it's crazy to think that, you know, um, people being in having easier contact with one another on a large scale and it's never been done in history on this scale. And you know, that's gonna have huge repercussions on just basically almost everything. So at the time of this recording, uh, I'm not sure when the person will be listening, it'll be ten years from now, but at the time of recording um, there, there is a uh, um, there's an event with GameStop 
Um, and <laughs> I'm sure the very recent listeners will understand. Um, I think, I, honestly, I think in six months' time, people will start to forget about this and they'll look back in a year's time like we did last January and we're like, oh shit, that actually happened. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good to like, add context to a very recent event. Um, so, in that, yeah, so essentially what happened, there was a bunch of, um, you know, uh, I don't know the exact word to call them, autists maybe, on Reddit, and they essentially found the short positions of a large hedge fund, and you know they tried to raise the position on that uh, and short squeeze a hedge fund, and you know this has had huge repercussions, and then you know markets were reacting all over, um, crypto markets reacted in unison as well, and um, it just adds more chaos to the world, and this is just you know once. One atomic fact of you know being able to communicate easier with people and you know, being able to organize large groups of people has had this you know massive massive yeah. it's um it's it's kind of um populism aided by scale and this is this is the the arena where where we can see things shine because uh, you know obviously through through the natural political process um you know you you can you can make changes through voice but it doesn't seem to be like we're in the age of voice we're in the age of some form of digitally mediated exit and you kind of see it in in in, in many ways you know people congregating creating their own platforms and like you said decentralization so it feels kind of scary, but it's kind of like, I don't know, like base jumping, you know, you kind of, you know, you have a parachute and you know, it probably will open, but it's, we're kind of on the precipice now and we're jumping into this decentralized world. And um, it's, yeah, I don't know, maybe also because I'm a little bit of a, you know, tech Luddite, uh, I'm a bit more scared than, than your average Joe, but um, it does, it does seem like, um, you know, there, there's a new age coming. And I, I know you, you, um, are, I don't know if it's it's fair to say that you're a techno optimist, but there you're definitely someone who likes to uh, use technology as a tool and make you know more than the best of, of what we have. So um, do you see that you know as a as a way of giving people an advantage in, in the world that's coming? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think uh, being sort of open minded to possibilities of technology but i also think it has to be in um good faith and you, you also got to recognize that technology is a tool to aid rather than replace in a sense um and obviously technology does replace certain things but i think the main forefront should be you know how you execute certain things rather than you know, just focusing on technology i'm not the kind of guy that will be standing outside apple and waiting and um you know being a consumerist, um, I, I definitely think that technology will have a lot of benefits, but it also comes with a lot of downsides. And me personally, I I, I recognize the dark, um, downsides of this uh, new quote-unquote Luddites. Um, but at the same time, I definitely see that technology can be good, but it also has to be used in a certain way. Um, there is, um, I don't know, there's, there's no good culture around how we use modern technology. There's, you know, people either are ignorant of it or they're very, like, nerdy. And maybe nerdy is a kind of wrong word, but they are, um, they basically, you know, treat it as a lifestyle. Whereas if you look at other technologies, such as, for instance, bread making, there's an entire culture around it. And it's, uh, it, there's an aesthetic sense to it. And I don't think that 
current technology has been around long enough or it's changing too quick for there to develop a culture that you know, has some sort of harmonious feedback loop and um, the nature of our technology is changing so much and it's still being um, you know still hijacking our feedback loops in a sense but I think once we reach a stable point where we're able to turn off the computer without our brains turning to mush I think that will reach a good point I don't know how far off in the future that is but there is definitely a demand for you know safer technology in terms of you know social media etc uh, and I'm very confident that you know there will be some sort of you know pushback against um, you know these techno uh, corporatist overlords that you know are currently basically running whole sections of society in a sense um, and yeah there's already pushback I think and I think that will continue to increase um, but yeah I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a techno optimist per se that's, that's quite large but um, I wouldn't really know what to call myself other than I just see the benefit of technology yeah absolutely <laughs> and it, it does seem to me like we're at the point where there is um a bit of a divide, you know, kind of a chasm between uh, a techno-woke uh, elite where people kind of understand what the downside is um, and the, the plebs who are like, you know, the people at the bottom who um, who are kind of enthralled with these feedback loops and, you know, you know everything from, from food to, to TV to, you know, whatever, all these like hyper-perfected, hyper-palatable products that, you know, were just iterated into existence by the market, which, you know, is what it does. Um, And at the moment there, you you kind of see this kind of technological slavery happening at the bottom, but the people at the top, you know, are like like Jack or like someone, you know, they're already starting to look like Orthodox monks and, you know, they're going on a thousand day retreats and hiding in a bunker and, you know, there's just kind of this this kind of asceticism happening at the top. And um, I feel like once the elite culture becomes visibly ascetic, um, then maybe just by just by mimesis you know people at the bottom will start to kind of um understand that you know it's not all upside uh there there is you know you need to moderate this but then obviously because you know humans are black and white thinkers there's going to be probably a huge backlash and going to be like some some form of you know neo-amish shit happening and, and people just you know hiding hiding in the forest so running around naked you know it's, it's all possible <laughs> and i'm here for it no i i, I... I, I think um, I think that's already happening. I think um, there's this uh, on Twitter. There's this wave of uh, people with pine trees, and they were just reading Kaczynski. Uh, I spend they were spending all the time on Twitter, obviously, but you know they, they were they were echoing these sentiments of you know returning to nature and you know abandoning this tech dystopia in a sense. And um, I think I think that's already happening. I think that will continuously to happen. I think the people that are trying to do that, they're gonna form their own in, in real life communities and you know they're gonna live their own life and i'm saying i've been saying for quite a while that it's um the future it's not it's not going to be one blanket state of um let's say the matrix for instance or any other future film you're going to watch it's going to be it's going to be multiple simultaneous futures existing at once so you're going to have the jetstones so you know the liberal tech guys who integrated you know mechanical toes and stuff and the Kaczynski guys who don't like to modern medicine and you know they don't want insulin for instance um, so the, those two kind of like societies can't coexist 
but with the Jetstones and the Flintstones, you know, in har- not in harmony, but they're going to be in their own, uh, you know, decentralized. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, you, I, I, it would be hard to imagine the war between the, the Jetstones and the Flintstones, but I feel like the the, the Jetstones, you know, they, they have they have a very intrinsically fragile system, you know, because in a way the, the Flintstones are just, you know, they're, they're like a, a dog eat dog, you know, they're, they're essentially culling gen- genetically with every every generation. They have no modern tools. They're essentially, you know, survival of the fittest. So in a few generations, Kind of the the very frail, you know, hyperscale of of the Jetsons might just be torn down by a few very very well placed, you know, battle rocks from the, from the Flintstones faction. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's an interesting thought experiment, and um, I think the problem is now with the with the Jetsons faction, you know, the kind of hyper liberal technocrats is that. Man, they, they they can't stand the Flintstones. They don't want them around. You know, that's it's 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 pretty hard to see them coexist, except for you know separatism, which people are talking about more now. Uh, but it's still kind of a fringe idea. Um, but I think there is some some value to it. You know, just just leave each other alone, people. It's obvious that we can't you know coexist in in, in that utopian manner. So, I mean, in terms of when you've got large scale of people, you're going to have, you know, uh, increase the number of people that are essentially, you know, with different fractitious views. So, I mean, one solution is the Chinese solution. And, you know, that's totalitarianism, implement, you know, top down rigid hierarchical systems and, you know, enforce, you know, a lot of, enforce an ideological framework for people to operate within. Then you've got like the West and America, and I try to compare this between you know Persia and the ancient Greek uh, city states. So in the West, you you're gonna have multiple different. There is one, like I don't know, people in the West they they think that they are open-minded, but in a sense their liberalism is very, um, you know, do or die. But I mean, ignoring that fact, there there will be I think some sort of fracture in the West whereby there'll be different communities and ideologies. Existing in one, um, you know, within a larger meta uh, community in a sense, um, and I think I think I tweeted out like maybe 2018 that America will, will be at risk of fracture. And basically, the reason why I made that statement was that you can't have so many different diverging political opinions within one kind of like a melting pot, let's say. And the reason why is because you know they're just going to complete, complete, they're just going to get into conflict and you know be able not see eye to eye on a lot of things. And this will at the at the start you know it's at the bottom level and you know, it's, all, it's only the plebs. But obviously this gets fed back into in the entire system. So you're going to have more and more people within the um, law making system and the political system that are going to have be more and more fringe. And uh, you know, they're going to have a market. Um, I always say, like, politics is just another, you know, sales mill in a sense. So they're going to have another market that's more fringe and you know, applies to people on that, that's completely divergent. And I wouldn't say it's um, populism. There's a bit like it's so different from populism in the sense that it's not just one way. It's going multiple different directions. Um, and I think that's you know it ties back to my meta trend statement I made earlier was that you know this is a force of decentralization. So you're going to have like you can have right wing Kaczynski people, you can have left wing decelerationists, 
so many different words for this because they all like you know operate in their own little tribe, and um, you know, so these these little tribes are gonna you know coalesce and you know move apart every now and again. It's gonna be complete you know, movement of bodies, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you know that's that's probably you know representative of what's what's going to happen but i just i don't see it happening without a lot of uh, a lot of friction i mean you know everyone's been um talking about civil war you know do you think that's that's an an option or that you know people are just not at that level at the moment i i don't i don't think civil war is um it's, it's possible but i don't think it will happen i think if it were to happen which i i have a probability like scale of Every event happening, and you know, subsequent events, you know, in different timeline branches, for instance, will have you know, different probability factors. But essentially, like, you wouldn't go that route, in my opinion, because that would be, you'd just be, you'd have to have too much uh, one-way force, and that's not the, the nature of the decentralization. What will probably happen is states seceding, or could be motions to secede. So, since when I made that statement of um, there, there may be fraction in, in the United States. <coughs> Was I've, I've seen an increase of like Texans, for instance, um, you know, talking about these notions of seceding from the United States and you know forming their own country. Um, you know, there, there are movements for, for these, and you know, and it's not just like libertarians, for instance, or it's not just conservatives. It's, it's, it's a wide range of people that are pushing for these movements. So yeah, it, it's very factitious, and I think one thing we're going to see, and I'm seeing a lot of movements in, you know, in general geopolitics of people wanting to create their own country and secede from other countries. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. there's, um, there's quite a lot of people kind of on this um, libertarian tech, techno-utopian side that are you know, physically building you know, villages and, and small cities now. Um, I'm curious how the, uh, the, the local authorities, you know, the, the power of the state will take that. Um, or is it going to be, yeah, just... Um, yeah. So, so local authorities, their their worst case scenario is a fracture, because um, if you lose a group of population of people, you're going to lose you know, revenue. And if you see business as a, uh, I mean, if you see a company as a business, then you know they're essentially going to be against that. I think so. In, in one instance, there's a there's a few secession movements in Asia, so China, you know, the um, Xinjiang, I think. There's a secessionist movement, and what they did was that that would have been completely factitious because they like, people don't realize with China it's like they'll you know all countries really there's multiple factions all at play at once, and you know like it's very easy to you know put another faction and prop them up, and I think see, that's you know being the CIA mm-hmm. played it quite well. So um, <clears throat> what essentially what China did essentially they moved the um, you know, people and they set up these uh, detention camps. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, that's just the information I've been fed. But it's also similar to, for instance, um, in India, there's a you know there's a movement for secessionism, for a secessionist state um, within India, and uh, it's called Khalistan, and that's based on you know a different religion. So Sikhs in India they want to secede um, from you know what they see as a Hindu state. And but the thing is, this this is mirroring another effect that we've already seen happen in 2016, and that was Brexit. And essentially what happened was um, Britain voted to move away from the EU. And I, I, I wasn't too surprised, 
you know, if you look back in history, um, Britain has always, in a sense, you know, been its own nation, uh, much like how Japan is in relation to you know, larger Asia. So with Britain, they essentially, and I, I, I compared it to uh, you know King Henry um, seceding from you know the Catholic Church, for instance, uh, and you know he, he went his own way and um, you know, cut himself off from there. But essentially, it's it's very similar in that sense. And then within England, you've got different secessionist movements. So you've got this um, movement for Scottish independence and um, Northern Ireland and Wales. And then you've even got even smaller regional secessionists. So they want a decentralised parliament. So um, each, so for instance, Yorkshire's got a movement of you know, instituting their own ruling body or gov- um, government. And then Cornwall as well. Which is, these, these are very like minute. I don't think you know wide ranging listeners in you know Silicon Valley would have heard of these kind of things. But I mean, I'm just noticing these things on you know multiple different levels. So there's you know regional, uh, you know, then then national, international, etc. So like these these all these different things are pointing to one thing, and that's uh, a decentralization. Literally everything, and um, I'm I'm I'm. I'm a big supporter of localization. I think, I think current um, bodies of state, they can't, you can't. It's very hard to, you know, have a small group of elite to rule a wide, large, broadening body of people. And I think the Roman Emperor tried this. Um, you know, they tried to have a representative um, republic or whatever, and essentially it didn't work. You know, you'd have some factions vying for power and other factions vying for power. But essentially, what happened was they, you know, they instituted an emperor and. Pax Romana happened, and they, they spread their culture, etc., and you know, survived for a very long time. Um, the, the other um, path that we're at is uh, essentially just decentralized. With one large root state, we're going to you know, turn into a bunch of cities, states. Jared, personally, yeah, absolutely, because I feel like um, each of these city states, there's just kind of that you know libertarian thought experiment of you know having competition between between regions, and I think that's that's some you know yeah. that's that's a really good argument, and I, and I buy it, you know, because you see that there are different experiments in lifestyle, different experiments in governance, and you know we can all learn from either each other or you know just exit and either replicate the model that Lucy works or uh just join if they'll let us <laughs> so um yeah i think i think this is um this is it's happening so fast which is which is kind of the scary part but i feel like it's a good direction um so yeah i think uh i think you know i, I hope i hope your predictions are, are on the money with this one because it's probably the only way to to, to solve this um with minimal, you know, violence and conflict. Um, you yeah. also had a, a really good thread that, um, I mean, I thought it was really good because it, it mirrors some of my own thoughts about deaf culture and the lack of uh, a deaf culture in, in Western society at the moment. Oh, yeah. I feel like this plays really well into the, the current moment, which is not as current anymore, but it's still prolonged, which is COVID-19, this, uh, this monster pandemic that's been eating up the world. Um, and I feel like, you know, the two things that are, have been highlighted by this for me is essentially the, the impotence of, of managerialism, this absolutely no skin in the game, like 15 tier system that surrounds us uh, with, with all these, uh, you know, with all these little bureaucrats trying to cover their asses. Uh, no one's really, you know, it's, it's a completely inefficient system. But at the same time, also the kind of the moral underpinnings, like we went in two weeks, we went from 
um, save the NHS, you know, don't overwhelm the hospitals to we must conquer death, which is um, an absolute, you know, an absolutely insane perspective. But I feel like it, it overlaps pretty well with what the uh, what the current vibe is about around death. You know, we are in, in complete denial of death. And um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I don't know, just reintegrating some some serious concept of you know, death of old age, of dying, of respect for people over 40 even uh, is, is something that we are, you know, we, we are solely lacking in our society. Interesting. That's very interesting you mentioned that. Um, like, right now, what I've got on my desktop is like a bunch of images, like just like skulls, and um, I can send you a picture after or something, and essentially they're, um, yeah, it's like, I don't know. Me personally, I was I was raised very much in a very conservative household, and uh, I don't know a lot of things that I may tweet may not you know reflect that. But essentially, there's this whole culture of death in the sense that I was told at a very young age that you know everyone dies and it was a fact of reality, and that kind of stuck with me. And you know, I think it's a very huge part of my personality that you know, I'm, I'm constantly motivated by death, and there is an aesthetic death. Per se, you know, it's a it's a sort of state that's um, romantic in a sense. And I think it is definitely lacking in modern society. I think people shy away from it, and um, there there's not an acceptance of it. People like tend to forget about it, and there's and then there's a whole bunch of you know cultural problems that relate to that stem from that. So, for instance, you know, you have no gal culture, so you, there's, you don't think that there's where there's wisdom in old age. And I think one of the weird things is because the world's changed so quick the relevance of you know ancient like person who's had certain knowledge like 50 years ago that's so redundant now like if you look at you know technological systems or even how the world works or you know how people even interact with globalism it's, it's definitely changed and i can definitely understand certain reasons as to why people you know disregard certain things but i think in terms of death i don't think people have an appreciation or a relationship realistic understanding of it and you know then there's this whole fear of death that you know, comes from that and i'm not sure where this death thing specifically came from my uh, from myself but i i definitely think that everything that i try to do is like it will try to be the, the end in mind so i remember the first kind of um video essay i don't know what to call it the first kind of video essay i made like two years ago now was you know, based on my death and it was essentially a um, I don't know if you've read it but it was a all, almost my own eulogy and um, and I, I was basically explaining some things about how how a person can in a sense replicate a cyber death so this you know you, you said I was good at branding but essentially what I'm trying to play around with is um, all these different I wouldn't say identities but we're at a point where your avatar is essentially a reflection of you in a sense. It's a mask. So, you know, if you kill these kind of masks, you know, you're killing a sense mm-hmm. part of yourself. And that's one facet of uh, this new reality that we're in. But on, on a larger sense, I think that should be just try to, that's, that should be incorporated into everything. And there's no reminders of death in modern society. So, there, there's a lot of things. So, you have people that are repeating very age old mistakes and they think they can reinvent the wheel say um, you know because they are forgetting the, I wouldn't say ancient wisdom but they're definitely missing something and this goes back to this whole notion of throwing um, baby out 
bath water per se. And, uh, and I think that's what happens when people try to rebel too much against tradition. Um, and then the, you will find this kind of balance between, I don't know, I'm just trying to like loop everything back to our conversation. So you've got, you've got to have some sort of tradition. This is why I was talking about like the culture around technology. Because you know, the world's moving so quick, it's very hard to you know, keep track of certain things. So in a sense, there is uh, no ancient wisdom being passed down. So, and with tradition, it's, it's like what tradition is. The sense it's a set of um, memes per se. If you put that, it's a set of memes that have been refined through time. So, um, through Darwinian evolution of memes or ideas, like certain good ideas have been we have been you know, bred and they've proliferated, and then certain bad ideas. Um, you know, they've been tried and tested, obviously, and you know, the, the bad ones go. I think that's what's happening in real life, and it's always will happen. And there's this the whole nature of perennial philosophy that people rediscover things, but in a sense, they, they just discover them in a real way because everyone, humans, you know, they're hubris. I think they can, you can sense again. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's also a question of, of what is knowledge, because um, I feel like we, we've identified a lot with. Um, scientific knowledge with technological prowess with knowing how to operate things um, but the idea that wisdom is a separate category of knowledge and that it's you know there's kind of an intuitive component to it there's even kind of a instinctive component to wisdom that's that's anathema now you don't really have people um, accepting that uh, maybe a, a little bit in people who are interested in you know eastern eastern culture and eastern religion and things like that's kind of being reintegrated but it kind of has to be brought in through the back door so because you know western the western um, religious traditional and wisdom uh, traditions are really hard to to they're not very palatable for the for the young you know hip millennial crowd so you kind of have to <laughs> have to get wisdom from somewhere exotic and you know it has to have some 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 packaging that's cooler um but the idea that um you know knowing how to operate a computer is the same type of knowledge as knowing how to live a good life uh they're, they're completely different magisteria and um you know like you said you know it's good it's it's logical to ignore your grandfather when he when he opines about i don't know yep. gamestop or something because probably doesn't know what he's talking about but if it's maybe good to listen to him because he's had experiences, you know, you know, physical, physiological, intuitive experiences yeah. throughout his life that have, you know, taught him some lessons about stuff that you will not know until you you hit that thing in reality. No, definitely. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, like if you, if you go back to the industrialization age of industrialization so like um like my grandfather probably lived a hectic life as well went to war etc and um his grandfather before him had a very um you know, chaotic life as well you know there was different states being implemented he had a hand in that like i say and so i, I think this nature of chaos i think the last 20 years since the uh, fall of berlin war it's been this sort of sense of um, normality, but then you know, ten years later we had this 9/11. Then you know society changed very rapidly for a sect of people in a very different side of the world. And I think I think people are very myopic in the sense that they they only see you know, six months at a time, 
either direction. So, you know, that's almost normality. So, like, people have already adjusted to this corona stuff. And, you know, we're, we just adapted and, you know, technology trends are taking us in one direction and COVID in another. So, I think that that's one aspect of it, um, is that people have a very short attention span, memory span, whereby a lot of these things that they think are chaotic or new are not that new. If you look at history, there's been multiple, multiple instances where you know, states fall and rise and um, people are, you know, in a sense, living a different type of lifestyle. And I think there's also this uh, atomization aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And Just uh, my, uh, I've got auto closing my tabs, and it's trying to close the podcast um, up. But yeah, um, back to my point. Essentially, so we've got these uh, um, atomic beings basically being propped up, right? And what's happening is you're, you're seeing an increase in um, surrogate fathers, um, not in the conventional sense, but rather there'll be like these conventional gurus, um, you know, that are offering mm-hmm. father as a service. Um, so you'll have these gurus that basically tell you, mm-hmm. "Hey, clean up your room, boy." And uh, you know, this, then you'll solve the world. And you know, these I think I think these are going to increase because th- there is a need for it. There's a demand for it. And um, <laughs> there was this one meme I posted, and it was um, Ted Kaczynski saying, "You always on your phone." <laughs> and and um, there's a story Wojciech like with his face open, and and the guy was just basically ignoring his mum, who basically told him the same kind of thing. So th- that's a I think that's a, that's a very something that's a that's a funny thing to remind ourselves of. Not get caught up in this humanistic hubris, you know, is common to our species. Exists. Um, exactly. I think the you know the the void in in, in father figures is is a really big you know not not necessarily trend, but it's it's a big phenomenon in our culture. Um, either because fathers are actually absent, because uh, you know fatherlessness is, is quite a huge um, phenomenon just in terms of practical matters. There are literally no fathers in the home. But also, you know, the fathers that we do have um, are quite a, quite a watered down version of, of the father archetype. You know, they've they've been they've been um, they've become very mild. You know, at uh, at impact with with the with the culture that we have. Um, and there's obviously, you know, there's a, there's a downside to to uh, you know what people call toxic masculinity, like that that super authoritarian, violent father figure that you know will not take no for an answer, and you know he bends he bends his family to his will, and you know it, that's kind of a scary archetype as well you know he is you know he, he represents violence he represents kind of the leviathan of the family um but at the same time we've just let society just be completely devoured by the the opposite archetype which is the devouring mother you know the the big state the enveloping womb the uh the culture of safetyism you know this this denial of death because you know if you're never born or if you're in, in the permanent womb you never you never get to die because you're protected we protect everyone from everything, and um, and the thing is, these archetypes are are meant to balance each other out. Um, but because we have almost nothing, yeah. too little of, of one thing, and you know this all encompassing hydra on the other end, um, you know it's it's quite off kilter. Um, so I don't know. To to me, that feels like it's a it's a big it's a big thing as well. So I, I see why you why you say that you know the the, the digital guru is going to be the next. Yeah, the the next father figure. But is it? I don't know. Is it enough to have this digital idol, or if you have 
10 of them, it's better than one, one uh, you know, imperfect one at home. Um, I, I think it's more a case of like, this is the situation and this is the solution in a defective sense. Um, quickly, could you just do a science check? Um, I'm not, I'm no longer seeing your. Uh -oh. Um, I think it's it's recording. I am here. I see everything from your end, and then your your audio is still recording as well. Okay, cool. I just want to um, make sure. Cool. Um, but I can't see you. So, anyways, um, I'll just carry on. Yeah, it's 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 a father sense. I don't know. My, all right, so I mean, I can only give you know, my kind of background, I suppose. So with me, my um, I, I did come from what would be called patriarchal, but it's, it's just uh, normal, and I, I wasn't really, I wasn't really um, brainwashed by you know, in a sense like feminism or liberalism that each person is an atomic thing. I was very much had the sense of family values embedded in me so for instance like what I do definitely reflects like the status of my family in a sense and you know that's that was a very big part of everything in um, you know, how I conducted myself and I think that was good <clears throat> I think that was good because it in a sense realigned my values so if I was going to do something very short-term or hedonistic, then I'd, I'd think that this conflicts with what my values were as a child, in the sense that um, you know, everything I do would reflect, reflect you know, a large a body of people larger than my sense, larger than myself, and then you know that kind of, in a sense, embeds sort of honor into you or honor culture. And I think one thing that we're currently missing in current society is the honor culture. There are definitely negative aspects to honor culture, um, and obviously those are, for instance, you know, increased violence, increased um, more masculine attributes that are, you know typically associated with you know, the animal kingdom. Um, so that's one, but I think that's very much human nature as well. So, and I don't think we can, um, I don't think we can engineer ourselves out of human nature. And it goes back to my point again, whereby this. Uh, We've got to live in harmony with technology, but me personally, like this whole father figure thing, I think I, I was raised quite harsh. Father, some would say, uh, I've been kicked out multiple times. Um, it was quite a rocky relationship, and um, he was very harsh. He, he, he's very much like you can do what you want, <laughs> don't be a fuck up, um, or like at least do something respectful. And that was more or less it. I, I was, you know, I was given free reign. And when I fucked up, he did bail me out from you know, some very serious situations and uh, helped me out a lot of that. And when I needed guidance, he was there. But I think he also recognized it himself that he was very much a young father. Um, he had me when he was younger than me, actually. You know, At my age, I'm what, 25 now. I was, he, he, he had a two-year-old son, which was me. So th there's that kind of disconnect as well. So he, in a sense, was... Um, figuring out how to be a father and he, he spent a lot of time working and stuff and just being very direct to the point given all this responsibility and I feel as though he definitely stepped up in that sense because um, you know, that's a huge burden I can just try to think of it myself you know, raising a kid right now with a uh, <laughs> <laughs> clash with my lifestyle and that's I think, that's I think that's a very modern symptom 
um, and I think a lot of people try to make that decision. I think some people are moving away from it, people who are economically able, because you don't want to give your child a bad life per se as well, um, you know, if you're unable to provide for them, etc. I think a lot of people are, just have this fear whereby they think um, it's a lifestyle choice rather than um, you know, continuing with your family in a sense. So, I don't know, kind of rambling around the drain, around that um, point, but what I'm essentially trying to say is that there, there is definitely a need for um, looking back retroactively and trying to learn the mistakes of people that came before us. I think you know, some of your questions lined up quite nicely in the sense of, you know, death, there's no death culture which you know, extends past the father and then is there a father now? I don't think so. So I think there's an increase in gurus. And, and I think another point I was trying to make was that there's an increase in online minor bonds. So there's, you know, groups of males online that, you know, find um, solace in these male-only groups. I think that is a fact of nature. So if you look, there's a good essay uh, a couple of years ago, um, that described male-only cults, and I think it's a historical phenomenon. So with me, like there's like you know, groups. I'm in like group chats of just men-only, you know, boy. But um, it's like you know, we just random posting and you know, shooting shit essentially. I think that's a that's a very needed thing, and I think with the last ten years or so, this kind of dynamic has changed, where the you know friendship group of males has changed and there's been no constructive feedback loop, um, you know, due to just society changing, globalism, etc. People not having sort of interaction, and now we're kind of seeing that these groups are recoalescing and migrating on the internet and interacting with one another almost every day. And you know, there isn't you know, cyber or e manaban, if you can call it that, where group of men just basically um, reinforce one another. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, and it's 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 an outlet. I mean, I guess uh, you know people will do what people do with the tools that they have at hand. And and you're right. I mean, I've I've been I've been talking about this as well with the the disappearance of of gender segregated spaces. Because now when you when you talk about gender segregated, you know everyone's haunches are up. They're like, oh, you know, discrimination. Um, but like you said, there there are <clears throat> there are dynamics. There are ways of life. There are thought patterns and things that can only exist and only flourish within these gender segregated spaces um you know if you look back at traditional communities there was there was this world of women uh and there was the world of men and the men did their manly things and the women did their womanly things and you know there's just quite a bit of harmonious existence obviously not to to romanticize it but there there, there was such a thing and it, it's you know if, if it was um if it's robust and if it's something that existed for thousands of years until we decided then no everything has to be co-ed, everything has to be merged. Um, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that we've improved society and made it more, um, you know. I, I, I think I think definitely, um, I think, yeah, again, this, this whole myopia, I think it comes from a Marxist notion. I definitely think that Marxism is a downstream of, um, no, sorry, feminism is downstream of Marxism. And then we're currently in the, post-feminist world in the West, specifically, um, and so we're seeing everything in that kind of lens already. So you have these kind of people who are, you know, for instance, Christopher Hitchens or, um, I don't know, the you know, current established establishment, you know, shield proxy, um, 
guy at the moment. You know, there's a new one with Bob Sam Harris was one. Um, ben Shapiro is probably one as well. So essentially, those guys, they're um, you know, they are you know arguing for feminism in a sense, even though they say they're against feminism. Because um, the world truly, like, if, if you were to go way beyond that, then you know, you, you reach this sort of feudalism kind of age where there is a huge what they see as barbaric. So their their way of making models in the world is already influenced by a mark by Marx per se. So for instance, um, like George Peterson, like he would say he's he's for a certain um, liberal liberalism, but like liberal liberalism in a sense is very you know, we're already in liberalism, like what, how much more liberalism do you want? Um, that that's counter argument I mean to, to those kind of people. And then this other side of it, if I can remember the point, uh, was that yeah, so when I'm making like when I'm talking about technology, what I'm really talking about is biology. And I definitely think that biology has more of an influence on future events than technology. Technology is you know, it's it's, it's definitely up there, you know. But I think biology like if you look at history, it's a good book called Will Durant Hundred Pages of History or something something along those lines. It's probably the best book on history you're gonna read in your life. And essentially, what it, one of the statements that it makes, or meta statements, is that p- uh, patterns repeat in history because you know there's the same, there's a similar kind of operating system um, or similar kind of computer that operating systems run on, and that is you know biology. And you know we have similar kind of patterns of you know, coalescing into giant empires, empires crushing um, you know, and crumbling essentially, and you know, there's this repeatable cycle. I think mainly. That is due to, you know, um, biological hardware, um, you know, pushing us to one direction, and like again, it goes back to the point of um, male-only spaces or female-only spaces. This, like, you've got to understand, we're living in a very small window. And then this, then, then it goes back to your point on progress, confusing scientific progress with moral progress. You know, those are two things. Are, they should be treated as separates. So, for instance, um, in ancient um, Carthage, they'd set like you know abortion was quite prevalent, and you know women had abortion. You know they would sacrifice a child, for instance. So, I mean, I, I've tried to mirror those two things. I, I don't know if that's a good comparison right there, but it's definitely something you know to think about. So, for instance, a lot of these things that are very liberal now are people you know call quote unquote progress are not this definitely happened before but we, we're just very ignorant of the past in the sense that uh, um, we're, we're seeing it in a new light we're seeing it as a win but like you know what's down the road is in a sense um, you know it's gonna the cycle is gonna repeat and then it goes back to this point I was making earlier regarding um, the quote-unquote conservatives of modern society they're not really conservative uh, in the sense that you know their conservatism only goes back five years and there would be a progressive ten years ago, and we're really at that stage where, um, you know, yeah, like what ben, when, what um, Ben Shapiro and all these other PSN. I mean, I've got respect for them. You know, they're good at you know writing books and selling them, whatever. But essentially, like, if they were to go back a hundred years, you know, they'd be called called uh, you know left wing <laughs> extremists. So I think that's that's one thing to, to, uh, to keep in mind as well is that a lot of these people think they are re- reinventing the wheel. I think it comes back to human hubris. You know, like people think, oh, I'm so special. I've, uh, yeah. You know, 
yeah. I've developed X, Y, Z. And and then I, th- I think it also comes down to people thinking um, they're, a, they're immortal or they could be immortal. And I think my, like, one thing I admire about the Romans is that they had this, like, notion of memento mori. And I've definitely tried to take that on board, not in a stoic sense, but rather in a new type of death sense. So, so I think humans, or biological animals, animals in a sense, they have this notion of a death sense, whereby they can, you know, they have a sort of relationship to it. And I've been trying to cultivate that in myself, you know, surrounding myself by reminders of death. You know, as I'm talking to you, I'm literally looking at my memento mores, which are plastered over the wall above my desk, and there, you know, the skulls that I draw, I drew. I think I posted a few um, before. But yeah, these skulls, like I think, in a sense, you know, just remind me that you know, you're just a man in a sense, and you will die. And personally, this, this, like as a young kid, this was imbued into me you know, through a very orthodox religious upbringing and you know, very traditional sense. And then you know, you, you are a man before God, you will die. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, you know, don't. Don't be too crazy with, you know, hubris. And I think a lot of people are. Yeah, very absolutely. Uh, I've, I've also, I'm also a big fan of the kind of the, the vanitas memento mori uh, imagery. Like uh, this is this is a, an exclusive, but I I have a, a memento mori tattoo, <laughs> which is the the only the only like large scale tattoo that I have. It's not that large scale, but it's it's you know it's you, know, you can tell you can make it out. You know what what it is if if you know obviously about the imagery. Um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a, above an above the neck poster. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's um, it's it's a really really important uh, image, and it's, it's really interesting because everyone around me knows that I love this imagery. So I have friends who are artists who actually painted memento mori and like vanitas yeah. for me, and I have them around the house. So yeah, this is this is a, a really you know important thing for me as well, which I, I don't have it from my family. I've kind of you know kind of found my way to it because. Um, you know, I like I like kind of this yeah. stoical concept of you know premeditatio malorum. You know, to to think about what can go wrong and to yeah. uh, to kind of sit with that, and then um, you know, it's it's really the best way to have perspective on on your life because. Um, especially being in the pod, you know, eating the bugs, being forced to be this, this, <laughs> this uh, <laughs> yeah. atomized being, uh, perspective is not something you get, you know, you're always kind of caught into the, the cycles, the news cycles and stuff. So, um, you know, anything, you know, even like cold therapy or just like exposing yourself to something like to, to shocks or things like that is, is really important to kind of ground you or whatever term you want to use to just kind of pull you out of the out of the the constant maelstrom of your mind because you know this is this is you know this is the big uh the big thing that the market plays with with your brain waves uh every day so yeah i'm i'm definitely a big fan of that as well um i also had someone ask about uh bullshit jobs this book by david graber um and i know you're you're kind of the the, the type of person yeah. who was created uh a job who is, uh, you know, giving jobs to other people? Who is kind of in the middle of business? Um, you know, what's what's your? Um, I don't know if you've read the book, but I guess you know the, the the premise of it is that you know most of the jobs at the moment are, you know, paper pushing, um, making you know PowerPoint presentations, you know, 
being middle management. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, what, what's, what's your take on, on bullshit jobs and what, what's the future of bullshit jobs? Will we need them? Will they increase in number? I haven't read the book and it, it would have helped if I did read the book. But, okay, so there's a few points I would make. I don't agree with it in, in general. I think what is a bullshit job and then so we're defining something as bullshit. So that de facto means that we've got something that is valuable. Okay, so what is value? And a lot of people say value is what you can use, utility, etc. But essentially, I am of the belief that, and this is probably you know, a very Austrian kind of school of economic thinking, is that value is whatever the market is willing to pay for it. So in a sense, there are no bullshit jobs, because if someone pays for it, then it's a job that you know, has a demand supply attached to it so yeah i i don't i don't agree with it i think there's probably going to increase in, in bullshit jobs is an influencer a bullshit job no there's a demand for it people are willing to pay for it so who's to say that you know what is bullshit and what isn't i think i think the entire you know kind of concept of it is like oh um it goes back to hubris again i think it's like all right i'm, I'm working in a job that's very useful etc and um you know it's uh it's going to help society in a sense Okay, that that's a definitely good statement to make, but in a sense, there's also this other notion that you know, if someone's willing to pay for it, then you know there's demand for it, and I'm doing them a service, and I'm equally being uh, reimbursed for my time value. Um, I mean, I, there are some jobs that are probably worth more, but then it comes down to like moral fostering. You know, like there's this uh, there's this whole wave in the last year, 2020, that there was these um. There's a huge backlash against these nurses that were just basically live tweeting what they were doing, and obviously you know it was very traumatic. And I can totally understand their position, but there's a lot of people that were um, like saying, "If you don't like it, get another job." And I think that definitely you know, has definitely goes to the argument of how do you place value on certain things? What is valuable to human nature? And um, you know who who who's Who's going to be the one to assign value to certain things? Yeah. So, I think, I think, I think the term Marxist, I think the term bullshit job is very uh, Marxist in the sense that, you know, it's, or I, I create value, you don't create value, and um, you're just a person that tells me what to do. Don't get me wrong, I've worked in, I've, I've done things that are bullshit, totally, and uh, I totally understand the sentiment against it, but, you know, someone's paying me to do that. And, you know, I was offering my services. So, I mean, I'll give one example. Like, I was working on one thing for about six months, and then, you know, fucking senior directors or whatever, they essentially, you know, canned it. And that was a lot of effort. I learned a lot, etc. But, you know, it resulted in nothing. And then I just kind of reflected on myself, and I was like, you know, this is, I, want, I want to build something that lasts. And it goes back to this whole death thing. So, everything I try to do, I try, I try to reflect the death of mine. Will I be proud of this when I die? Etc. So that that was one thing where I was just that was probably a bullshit job in that sense. But I don't I wouldn't call it a bullshit job. It was just you know, a job I didn't like. And yeah, I, and I think um, part of part of their the argument, if I remember correctly, I haven't read the book, but I've, I've kind of read about it, um, was that you know because um, a lot of the jobs that exist at the moment they're just kind of a a sub process in a larger machine, um, and it's, it's very hard to connect. 
uh, the inputs with the outputs. And a lot of these services are very abstract. They're very superficial. Some of them, you know, they're um, they're less about fulfilling needs, but more about creating desires. You know, some of them are, are actually, you know, harmful, like, you know, whatever you believe about, I don't know, feeding people McDonald's, you know, a lot of people have heart disease, things like that. Um, so, you know, it's this kind of, in a way, uh, the fact that you're just, you know, a, a literal cog in, in a very huge machine is kind of an alienating thing in itself. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, obviously, in, in terms of in terms of market value, I completely agree with you. I mean, um, you know, what what is the value of a job? You know, not even like a you know old school ironmonger in like super trad society. You know, what is he going to sell his sword for? He's going to sell his sword for whatever someone wants to pay for it, and that's it. Um, but it's, um, I think this, you know, I think it's just another, you know chain in the link of alienation that people you know want to talk about i think from that perspective there's something to it i yeah yeah definitely and uh you know a lot of leftists left-wing thinkers did say that you know these uh these negative repercussions would be alienation so for instance um yeah there is a sense of alienation but i definitely believe that these kind of jobs will be weeded out and you've got to take the long-term perspective as well, is that you know, if, if a job is no longer needed, why would someone pay for it in the long run? Does that make sense? So, for instance, um, you know, all these bullshit jobs, like me personally, I hired someone that would be basically yesterday, actually, that is essentially going to just do, um, you know, run errands for me that are going to be very... That I could probably hire a secretary to do it in, in the UK or America or wherever. And, but I'm, I'm basically outsourcing it to someone who's going to do it a lot cheaper, the same kind of quality. And, um, yeah, so, like, again, it goes back to, you know, where do you place value? Um, I think, so, if you are in a demoralizing job, um, <laughs> like, the market's going to change, technology is going to change, and there's going to be this whole, you know, the whole machine is going to, may not be, you know, reliant on that one cog in a very large abstract machine. Um, so I can't say like these things are going to be you know, around for a very long time. Even like the office worker, in a sense, they're dying. Offices are no longer around, you know. So in in the late nineties, there's this whole wave of anti-office. I I like to call it um, like office pessimism. And in the sixties, you have this um, um, if you look, if you, you have this like increasing amount of people that work in offices, um, you know, from the twenties, roaring twenties into the 50s after the war and if you look at Mad Men there's a whole like office culture and they make work in an office you know, kind of cool I mean at least for the men anyways and yeah, it was uh, you know very interesting and that definitely you know was something I suppose to, to idealize and then if you look at the 90s then this is like post um, corporatism expanding large office buildings and then there's there's quite a few movies that you know are very pessimistic about office culture in a sense, and you know you you see this downtrodden guy in an oversized working shirt in a giant fucking tie that he's wearing, and he's just hating his job, and you kind of rebel against this um, kind of office culture. And now what we're seeing is um, obviously that kind of carried on, and you have the like um, soy guy in an office, um, you know, trying to you know act all retro or something. I don't know, but in a sense that's failing as well. And now we're in a sense we're in a post office economy and I don't think it'll go back to offices because um, it will go back to some degree but nowhere near 
um, the same kind of degree. Like even I, I talked to some of my colleagues and you know me myself. Like I'm I'm working across like multiple different time zones, and I'm making a lot more money now doing what I do than before, where I had to go to an office. Uh, there's a time spent on commuting, which you know reduced um, my effectiveness in terms of how much time I was able to allocate to work and productive um, stuff. So again, these bullshit jobs. I think there there is a time where there's a bunch of like rent seeking, so people can afford these bullshit jobs. But when people are looking to cut costs, like the first thing you'll cut is like things that yeah, can't produce. Absolutely. Do you think the the pushback against you know so called bullshit jobs is also uh, tied into what what people expect from jobs? Because we've really been sold this whole mythology of career, especially to women, to yeah. be honest, uh, that, you know, the career is the thing that shall, yeah. you know, it, it shall release you. This is the fulfillment of your life, the crowning jewel of your existence. Um, and, and if you don't, Damn. if you don't have this amazing thing, you know, you, you know, if you, if you, if on the receiving end, you just get a job, which is, you know, bullshit or not, you know, it's going to maybe involve some PowerPoint or whatever. Um, yeah. You're not going to be happy. Um, Yeah, I'm. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of family business. Um, I, I think there's quite a large lot difference between corporate career and a family business. A family business you can hand over to your children. Um, you know, a corporate career it's, it's not replicable, and I don't think you know careerism will last. You know, then it goes back to this whole notion of decentralization. And there's huge biological forces in play that prefer passing off things to their offspring. And you know, I don't. I don't think nepotism is bad in the sense that um, you know people are looking after the genetic lineage. I don't try to associate like a morality towards it. I just think you know it's a fact of biology. People are gonna have you know propensity to people that are similar to them, um, you know, create a tribe, etc. So going back to the point, um, you know, careerism. I I'm definitely against careerism. Um, I definitely think we should do what you enjoy if you definitely if you if you enjoy that kind of work then by all means go ahead and do it um but i definitely think you should also try to build something inside and do that and you know be in more control over your destiny you know being totally reliant and again being totally reliant on someone is not a modern phenomena like in ancient societies you know you'd have lord, thief lords fiefdoms and thief lords or whatever and you know you'd pledge your life to a person etc um, I'm not trying to compare corporatism to that, but I'm just saying that there is this notion of reliance on people for certain things. But I think right now everyone should be able to have some degree of control over what they do. Um, and before, a lot of libertarians would argue that you know now we have freedom, etc., to work. Um, but a lot of these things are you know are a run to the lowest common denominator. And you know these things will ruin a lot of things that have been around a lot longer. Um, so this notion of family has probably been not just family, not a nuclear family, like extended family, living, knowing your cousins and grandparents, etc. That that's that kind of like um, extended family model has been around to some degree all across cultures. A lot of um, you know, I don't know people that look into genetics would say you know the preference the hygienal line. I don't really agree with that because even with if you have the hygiene online, maybe households are slightly different, but you know, you're still being close proximity to people that were very closely related. So in that sense, um, 
you know, there's this careerism. I don't think it will last. I think we'll see. We're seeing an increase in like personal businesses, family. And this will lead to like an increase in family businesses. I don't know how how that ties in with this you know, increase in corporatism, gig economy. Maybe I'm looking at it from my perspective, and um, you know, I'm I'm biased in that sense because I grew up around family business, and you know, one of the things that I've been asked recently is um, whether or not when am I going to start my business? When am I going to you know, do that? And and that's mindset I've kind of right raised with, and obviously that's not concept personality. Um, but I definitely think that has a lot of positives. You know, you want to pass something down. You want to build. And again, it goes back to death. Um, you want to build something that outlasts you. You want to be remembered in a certain way. So you know, other actions that you're doing today. Positively or negatively, you know, would you be proud of what you've done, and would you be able to hand it over? Would you be able to hand it over? Yeah, that that requires that um, you know, seeing seeing beyond your generation, seeing beyond your youth, even, um, which I feel like is is, is quite a limited perspective at the moment. And <clears throat> to me, I, I feel like the, this this perspective is also kind of mediated by the fact that you know, the the, the thing that we interact with most is you know, the global market, that's, you know, we don't really interact with family as much, you know, there's, there's certain communities that, that, that still do where you have extended families, but it, it is a rarity. So um, the, the market wants you to be at peak optionality. It wants to give you, you know, the variety, you know, just, just make you into the, the peak consumer. And I think the peak consumer is still, you know, the, the uh, two, two income households, um, you know, millennial Zoomer type person who's, you know, an early adopter is, is in on all the cool things. Um, and, you know, because the market's prototype consumer is typically this person, um, they're essentially even the cultural products that surround the market, they all cater to this person. And, you know, once you fall off the, you know, once you fall off into your 40s, into the into the dark gray, you know, murkiness of, of older age, you're not really the core consumer. You're not really the this whole thing that we're we're in the the network economy it doesn't really cater to you that much. You know, there are certain products for you, but you know, culture isn't about you. You know, when you when you turn on the the, the means of communication, you know, it's, it's all people. You know, between twenty and thirty five, you know, staring back at you. Um, and I feel like there's not really that much, you know, of a cultural artifacts that are oriented towards older people, except for things that are funny to us, like you know, they watch. Jeopardy or something, haha, they're old. Um, but you know, there's not really something high status. It's it's really very low status to to get old in in this in these conditions that we're in. No, I I totally agree. And um, I'm I'm what like 25, and then there'll be like kids younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I I no, I I actually find it funny, and um, I don't discourage it in a sense because. Yeah, I, I, because what I do as well, like, I call people that are like around 30, 35, I call them boomer. They hate it as well. <laughs> but I find it so hilarious. But yeah, so it's essentially targeting youth. Um, it's, it's a growth tactic in a sense. So, for instance, TikTok, they primarily aimed at kids who are, you know, 15, etc. And they essentially. Yeah, so they aimed at kids out of 15 and they grew, they had a lot of time on their hands. So you could have a very dedicated user base. And I think that's part of it. You know, older people, they, they work, they've got other things busier, they have less time to be able to you know, spend on you know, their 
social media or product or whatever. Um, I think there will be, I I don't think there will be like a high status cultural increase anytime soon. I think there will be some sort of um, thing where people have done really extraordinary things. You know, they're, they're, they're usually held up in high status, looking older. Um, but also, like, a lot of things change. So a lot of cultural norms are changing. So if something, even if someone was a liberal, say, 50 years ago, now they would be considered a conservative, and you know we're in a very fast-moving time, so that's another aspect of it. So they've just their like kind of views have just fallen out of time, and you know out of the zeitgeist. And so yeah, that's one aspect of it, I suppose. Um, and the other aspect is when people are using you know, these new apps or aiming people's. Obviously, you know, if you're familiar with like marketing and stuff, you know, they'll find a niche and just focus on that niche, and then that niche is probably the best return on investment. Um, in terms of older people, yeah, so like they are laggards in a sense. So if you, if you look at different communities, older, like the older software, so for instance, Facebook is probably older than Twitter in terms of like cultural relevance. So the, the user group. So Twitter aimed was aimed at you know college kids right, and then it proliferated along younger kids. I remember I was using it quite a lot when I was like maybe fifteen, sixteen. And then obviously as I grew older, I started to use Twitter more. But then I noticed a lot of boomers, old people, were using Facebook. And now like the demographics have changed. I think I've tweeted about this recently. And yes, yeah, so the demographics have changed. And I think this is what's happened with Twitter. So a lot of people saying Twitter is declining or whatever. What we're noticing, what we're noticing is like the cultural, um, basically the culture of Twitter is changing because the people of Twitter are changing, demographics are changing. Um, so you can have all these different you know, cultural groups in silo mm-hmm. uh, operating all at once. Um, so I, th- I think that's a huge part of it. I don't, I think, yeah, I think there will be different like target groups um, all at once. It's going to be, you know, so, for, for instance, like Facebook memes with boomers, they have their own in-group culture, and there's gonna be like different tribes based on you know, like, cohorts in a sense. Mm-hmm. I no, no, I think I think that's that's really plausible, <laughs> and it's I feel like it's borne out by the facts. You know, it's it's pretty clear that you know people who are like you know older millennials, Gen X, are all on Twitter. Um, all this, all this newfangled stuff. <laughs> like, I'm definitely in the in the in the elder millennial category, so I'm I'm, ne- I'm never going to open TikTok. Um, so it's it's clear that there's a stratification. I think it's also you know it's it's you know once once you're about thirty something, you you kind of crystallize naturally. You know, you, your your fashion sense kind of stagnates, and your your music taste kind of <laughs> stagnates as well. I mean. Ideally, it, it doesn't, but you know, at least at least in my case, it has, and I can see this, you know, in, in the uh, in the sample size that I have around me as well. Um, so, yeah, it's um, I think it's 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 a very I think the theory has legs, and I'm I'm don't know I'm curious how these new tools are going to influence you know the the memes and the culture that is forming because I mean I, I don't understand TikTok very well as being being a bit of a boomer myself. Um, I isn't isn't it just kids dancing and people trying to get you onto OnlyFans? 
Um, yeah, th- there is a huge part of it. I mean, I suppose the same kind of thing with Twitter as well. So, it's, 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 so I don't know, it's based in mimicry, which is very fascinating. So, um, there's a huge group of people. So, there'll be like a song, right? And there'll be like these trends. So, in a sense, it's, it's like a trend. It focuses a lot on trends. So, there'll be like this dance that people do, that all the kids are doing. Um, and then people will copy that in different environments. They'll add like a they'll iterate slightly and they'll um, they'll add a certain innovation to it. And in a sense, it's like metic evolution at a very fast pace. So there's these, there's these trends that come up and come and go and they're facilitated by the algorithm that pushes these into feed and then people will make these kind of trends follow. And obviously there are, it is a like sales funnel into the you know, pornography market and... Um, but the thing is that I, I think that's Twitter can be used in the same kind of fashion that you know you can trend certain things, get it viral, and um, you know link it to your um, prostitution page. But at the same time, like there there is huge aspects of it that are very I wouldn't say wholesome, but they're not like they don't have that in mind. But also, again, like people humans are, you know, they, they dedicate a lot of resources to acquiring sex and um, to go to that end goal of you know, sexual reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm curious how, because essentially this, like you said, you know, TikTok is almost like an explicitly mimetic environment, uh, but all social media is quite mimetic. Um, and then you kind of have this layer of sex work and destigmatizing sex work and, you know, online sex work for all. This is a new side gig that, that people should have. I mean, to me, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a little bit, a little bit worrying um, because I'm 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 a terrible whorephobe, um, so it's <laughs> at least this, this is the new terminology, and I, I'm I'm adopting it. I'm getting it ahead of the curve. Wow. Um, but, but there's there's <laughs> you know maybe, maybe it's just me. I mean, it's I, I feel like it's, it's it's quite dystopian to think that you know in the future you know every all all of our daughters will just be like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, having, you know, a sidekick sending cooter shots to people. It's, yeah, that's not, I don't, I don't, I don't see it well. And I feel like it's, it might have downstream consequences, but that may be just me, um, you know, being, being a stuck up old, old broad. Um, I don't know. No, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's a very much a cultural thing. So there are like young communities out there that are totally against you know, this uh, sexual, liberal kind of view of the world. And, and they're totally against that, you know, um, OnlyFans. And, and definitely we're seeing it online as well. There's a huge... Sw- 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 I don't know. There's a huge... There's quite a lot of people um, that are, you know, on Twitter that are young, uh, Zuma age, you know, like around 18, that are totally aligned with your worldview um, and, you know, totally agree with your um, dismay at the, at the trend of young kids. And I think... I think I think there's an over focus on it. So there is a lot of people that are doing that, but I think it's um, selection bias as well to a certain degree. Is it being pushed by you know certain cultural entities? I I, I think so definitely. I think that's a fair statement to make. Um, you know, you know there is a push for it, and you know people are using political um, leverage in a sense to you know push for that kind of ideology, and it is an ideology. Um, you know, it's not all these things about 
liberation since um, our ideological in nature. But so yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a battle of ideology that going on. Um, I I don't I think it's just a youth thing. Um, I think there will be um, in a sense there already is a resurgence of people trying to be more traditional in a sense. But I think people also got to realize that what's traditional five years ago was progressive ten years ago and so on. Uh, maybe I'm making the example a bit uh, extreme, but yeah, essentially a lot of the time it's it's um, you know you got to take things into a large larger context. Um, I yeah I think that's more or less it on that subject. Um, is it is it a larger trend? I I wouldn't say so. I mean there is there is certain parts of it that are pushing towards it, but again, like if, if everyone's sending something that anyone can get access to for free, I don't see it as a sustainable kind of business market. It's more it's it's very much like um, influencer marketing or you know, creating business on the internet if there's a lot of people that are quickly able to you know mimic your business in a sense you have no from a business standpoint it doesn't make sense for that to happen in a larger cultural context as well like there are huge repercussions embedded within human nature that you know I suppose have a sort of disgust mechanism against this kind of stuff um, so I don't think from those two aspects, I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, I think there will definitely be some sort of, of uh, undercurrent of it, and I think there'll be some people that can be prominent in society that will you know, reflect that kind of nature. But I don't think there will be a case of almost everyone doing it. But I think it's also good to remember that I think maybe in Renaissance Italy, I can't remember where, but someone said to me that like twenty percent of the women. Of a certain time period in Italy, I can't remember if it was Italy or somewhere else, but essentially they said the figure of around um, 20 25% of uh, women were all prostitutes. Um, this is something to definitely look at. I may be completely wrong. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, talking random shit. But it's, it's definitely, and that's a figure like to think about. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. It's something to look into. I definitely suggest people to look into it. I, I want to look into it right now, actually. Um, see if it's actually true or not but yeah so I think there is and people call it the oldest profession but the thing is it's like it's also one of the professions that's cross-culturally ashamed and you know put under the rug and I think it goes into a wider larger sense of like morality and cultural norms I think as a society there should be you know certain upheld cultural norms that protect society in a larger sense that you know promote a certain kind of lifestyle that's a fact of nature in the sense that that's already happening even in a quote-unquote liberal society. So, you know, people say talk about free speech, but if you say the wrong thing, you're going to go to jail. So, does free speech even exist? And what, what, like... So then, you know, it's very much a contradiction of what a lot of people say. Um, you know, if people say, oh, let people do what they want, then if you say, I don't want to do X, they, they're going to rebel against you. Um, so, you know, they are in contradiction to themselves. Um... So I think I think that's another thing to take into mind. Me personally, um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of it, um, but also I'm also like you know trying to judge it from a different type of perspective, more of a first principles perspective. I don't think it's going to be a huge trend. I don't like again. It goes back to what I was saying. It can be multiple simultaneous um, societies existing with different ideological views. That's already happened. That's already the case now. Um, you know, it's not going to be like a global 
government. I, I don't think that's plausible to control 7 billion people. Um, it's, it's very hard to do. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's a good idea anyways, because a lot of people are going to have very different decisions and opinions about things. It's, it's not scalable yeah. at all. Um, so neither is you know, the increasing, um, what seems to be an increasing phenomena. I think it's just like, it's just been pushed by certain narratives. A lot of people are going to make mistakes um, you know, as to that kind of lifestyle, but they'll eventually see you know, the actual truth. And it comes back to this whole perennial uh, truth kind of nature. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the only robust thing that we have is, you know, time, timeless truth, especially about human nature. Yeah, you can't really escape those for too long. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the, the the thing that is a bit worrying is that, like you said, you know, things are things are happening really fast. You know, these these are technologies that have like super normal stimuli of the of the caliber that we haven't seen before. Um, and what what's special about OnlyFans is not just that it's you know it sends you porn. I guess it's you know it's it's the the kind of that that parasocial relationship component where you kind of have a pool of men they're all competing to talk yeah. to this girl they're all kind of outbidding each other to you know get a, a sweet message from her and you know it's it's you know she... I I I don't I don't think that's entirely true so so there are examples of that and that's what the, and that's the, what people who have a bias towards those they people have a bias of selecting people things that are um, you know very what's it called like it's essentially selection bias so they have like they don't see the failures and the vast majority I'd say 99.9% of people that have an OnlyFans account don't make money on it there are graphs of this um, you know you can, guys anyone's listening you can literally go and google like the graph and it's, yeah. it's, it's steep as hell like it's literally flat and then there's a huge, huge spike I think you know top one percent makes more than ninety nine point nine nine percent. Even even lower. Only fans. Yeah, exactly. I think it. it's um I, I think it's top point point one percent that makes ninety nine percent of the income. It's like it's like Pareto times you know a thousand. It's quite it's quite super super steep. Like it's it almost is is you know is is stuck to the graph. You barely see the graph because it's essentially. Yeah, and and this, this is crazy because like. That's an extreme. Like, if if you wanna if if you wanna push that, promote that, you're gonna have this huge gig economy. That's it's, it's gonna be worse than Amazon. Amazon is the least regulated to some degree, um, and you know Amazon, you know, has some sort of value that's has a moat, and you know, they have a business model that can't be very easily replicated. But if you're just selling pictures of feet, all right, it's, it's like anyone could just take pictures of their own feet. But then you also got like brand it, create a moat. And then you know it's, it's it's a lot difficult. It's a lot more difficult than people think. And if a person was to do that, then I I just um, think that you know, they hadn't really thought about the long term consequences. And there will be consequences. Um, you know, everything that you do online is going to be like I I'm pretty sure like people have downloaded my Twitter archive and everything I've tweeted. Um, you know, pretty regular interval. I've I've downloaded my archive a lot as well. So like everything you do online, is, like you should just basically have the kind of mindset that. It's going to be online forever. You're going to die, and you know everything that you post is going to be a public record. And then you know somebody like Microsoft might make a chatbot by Jesus. I don't think anyone would want that chatbot. But yeah, it's a you know it's it's, it's a nice uh, nice dystopian vibe to to all of this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's coming. I mean, it's already here. On it, 
Yeah, it's already here. Yeah, food's already here, but it's not evenly distributed. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that is definitely an interesting thing. I think, I mean, the whole chatbot thing is very interesting to talk about because I've definitely been trying to do that. So I've been basically playing around with scraping my own tweets and then trying to generate more tweets from, the, from that data set. And um, that, that's just been a very interesting exercise of seeing how I think and uh, how I change over time. Um, but in terms of like death, yeah, then we completely fuck, you know, fuck up. But like, it reinvents basically what is this whole notion of death. And um, I, I think it's very important to talk about because it, in a sense, you know, it is my internal motivation for a lot of things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting topic. Will it change the relationship between people who have with dead people? Um, yeah, I think it will. Um, it's it's going to definitely change something. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen slowly. <clears throat> so, and because uh, what happens now is like on Facebook, if someone dies, you can tell Facebook that person's died. And they'll set up like a eulogy, a memorial page, or whatever. And um, that's quite, it's quite interesting. Is it? I don't know if it's gruesome or not. It's definitely something to wonder about, and I've had a few friends die, and like I can just I can just visit a certain web page, and I can just like read their eulogy again, and you know think about that, and even I can go through their tweets. I remember I've got a few friends that died that I've used through Twitter, and like sometimes I'll find myself scrolling through their tweets, and um, yeah, just yeah, just seeing how how quickly it go, and how people don't realize. Um, you know, how yeah. can you go and um, shortness of life? Yeah, one I was reading one guy. I found out he died. He's a graphic designer. I cannot remember his name, which is really bad of me. I feel pretty bad about it. But essentially, yeah, like he he's tweeting things and like he was saying, "Oh, I'm in hospital. I'm I'm okay now." Back and forth, and then then the news came out that he died, and. Um, yeah, I was just going through his like timeline and then seeing all the messages. And I don't think Twitter yet has a function of like letting letting people know the visiting a dead person's account. And I've set up certain bots to run, you know, indefinitely, you know, through servers of Google, um, basically to like tweet after I died. And all, and this and you just and they just tweet like a selection of my best tweets or you know the link by other bots. To tweet after I've died, and I definitely had that kind of like idea in mind of um, like yeah, tweeting after you died is like it's, it's almost haunting in a sense, but it is it's, like it's, it's very interesting at the same time. Yeah, because we we already have like bots of dead people, right? So we have like the Nietzsche bot or the bot of like Abraham Lincoln or something, right? It's, uh, but they they probably didn't live in an age where they they would. They thought that their you know, entire body of text and thought would be, you know, two hundred eighty characters. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you could you could also argue that their books themselves are kind of haunting us, and you know, even like Marcus Aurelius, yeah. you know, he's haunting us like two thousand years from the grave. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite you know this this whole concept of posterity. Um, I feel like we still we're still kind of hanging on to that a little bit. You know, people still kind of want to be remembered. But yeah, I'm curious how it's gonna you know how it's gonna transform now when, yeah, your whole life is just captured and you do it voluntarily because it's fun. 
it's a it's a it's a it's a crazy one. Um, I I before I let you go, I wanted to ask you the question of the show because we have that. Um, it's do you have a um, a person living or dead, a subversive thinker that people have you know either don't know about or you think should be more widely known? Um, you know, it could be a book or someone who's just you know has has some some good ideas that that should be known that are not known. So I think um, let me let me think for about a couple of seconds. I have I have one guy in mind. Um, he's well, I don't know if you'll be able to get him on the podcast, but there, there is a guy called um, Chiron Zero One, and that's his at so Chiron K A I R O N Zero One. Both in numbers. So he, he like me and him, I've, I've talked to him and we're pretty cool. Um, we've known him for quite a while. And a lot of things like he talks about, I talk about as well. We have you know, huge overlaps in interests. Um, yeah, I think he, he's, he's a good guy to check out. Um, but, but he's more like um, technological in the sense, I'm going in a different direction i think he he's a not techno optimist either but he definitely i don't know we, we need to i suppose invent a new term or something or it's already a term probably yeah techno realism um but essentially yeah that, that's, a, that's a good one um so we definitely see the benefits of it and we also see the negatives of it so he's a good person to check out i'm just thinking because i like to collect you know people that are low-key but like very interesting so I've got a few people in mind. I've got quite a lot of people in mind. Like I, I try to like create lists, but um, yeah, he, he's definitely one I like on a small scale. He's only got about two thousand followers. But there are there, there's quite a lot of people that are low key that are very interesting. I'm, I'm just trying to find someone that I talk to on a regular basis that I know very well, and that isn't so. Hingent on bias, because um, there's a lot of interesting people think they're interesting, but they're not. They're just a different type of ideology, um, and their thinking skills are probably redundant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to find. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like a, a lot of the really big accounts on on Twitter and, and everywhere they're just kind of very polished avatars of of trendy ideologies. Because uh, they don't really say anything, you know, disruptive. They just kind of repackage stuff, you know, like the, the Candace Owenses of the world. Um, and, I mean, that's, that's what people want to see. They, they want, you know, they want mirrors of themselves. And, you know, just a bit, a bit more of a refined mirror. I think that's what it sells. Okay, yeah, so there's, there's, there's another guy that mm-hmm. I'm very good friends with. And um, his name, I don't know if he wants to do let people know his name but his twitter at i can send it to you later but it's himza satya is his twitter name he's a he's a trader and his account is pretty low-key um he's a very nice guy he's got less than a thousand followers um and yeah he, he he's he, I'm, I'm trying to find the most like niche kind of thinkers that are not easy to define if you're easy to define i think it's like you're not thinking hard enough because um, you know you, you're too stagnant in your thought, and you, you like 
for him, he's he's a trader, and a lot of his trading um, ideology comes from mimesis, uh, Gerardian, not mimetics, Darwinian. But yeah, so so he he's basically applying that. Um, but oh, that's but the thing is, he doesn't really do that on a larger scale. So he he definitely has other different views. Um, I think someone that's large scale that's actually underrated is um, Jim O'Shaughnessy. He's um, he, he's a big account and he he's been very successful in his career, etc. But like I've I've had like quite intimate conversations with him, and he's very much like us that he's very into collecting um, people, not collecting thinkers that are, that are not easy to find because they're not out there per se. So he has like this huge kind of compendium of things that you can of of people that are very niche thinkers and he and he and he'll to, and totally do due diligence in the sense that I remember I was reading a book that's um by um I can't remember her name, Susan Black Moore or something. And it was a very niche book on memetics but from thirty four years ago. Most people don't know about it. And like, I I was tweeting about it and then I saw him tweet about it because he follows me and he's interacting about me memes with me and um, I was to, that, that, this is back when I was used to talk about memes and mimetics. Um so in a sense yeah he he's an underrated thinker even though he's very like he's got a large profile about 100,000 followers but like he's very interested in people that think outside the box that are subversive thinkers as you would call it um, those are a few um, people I think I, I think one way to like find out is um person's a unique thinker or not it's, um, it's like so they usually have a model how people think and um, that would model would come from like first principles rather than <coughs> like an ideological framework say X is good or X is Y because um, you know someone said so mm-hmm. but, um, so like it's, it's very like they've done the groundwork of um, you know, trying to find certain things that are in a sense, truths or what they think is truths. So they've got like an axiomatic model. Um, I'm really interested in like finding these kind of things yeah. as well. And I feel like you know your account uh, is is a good place for people to find them because I feel like you you engage with people quite a lot and you yeah you you don't shy away from from yeah recommending and yeah just kind of engaging with yeah definitely I I have some like tweets that I've put out or people under like 100 followers that um you know i find interesting i even reach out to people like you know like 20 followers and I, if i like some of their tweets mm-hmm. i'll say like you should do more um it's definitely there's quite a lot of them i haven't really been um delving into them as of late um there is a yeah there's quite a lot of people um I, I think you should find try try to find people that don't just post memes, and um, they have hard to define like stances. Um, I think that'll probably be a good place to start to find interesting out the box thinkers, um, and there there is quite a lot. Yeah, there, so. yeah, I definitely agree. It's a it's a place to be. I'm still a bit of a noob, but I uh, yeah, I've uh, I found quite a, a amazing array of of super smart people. I think I found. Um, sorry, I just um, 
there's a guy with um, 55 followers. Um, he his Twitter at is mf underscore bit, and me and him have talked. He, he's another finance dude. He retweets. He doesn't tweet as much, but like conversations with him are pretty interesting. And um, there's definitely other people that have hit up um, and try to get them to tweet more because uh, I like their tweets. Um, old um, Sue. So an early, Sue's early Twitter account, at, at, <laughs> I guess. I guess, yeah. yeah. I don't know. That is it. I had a conversation with him. He helped me out. It's pretty cool. There's honestly, there's so many people that are willing to help you out on Twitter. It's crazy. I really like Twitter people. Well, the ones I interact. Yeah, with definitely, them. definitely. I mean, it's it's been quite a miraculous uh, place for me as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. And yeah, happy to happy to meet people like you and you know chat about the about the world. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Cheers. Well, thanks so much for coming on. <clears throat> If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you. <laughs>